This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry scoops. We're back on a Tuesday night, I guess technically Wednesday morning uh, for me, but... <laughs> We get to cover a Ducks win and technically a Ducks loss because we were not live after Sunday's game. But we're not going to focus on that game. Ducks lost 3-2 in overtime to Arizona on Sunday. Uh, the only kind of notable news in that game is Sam Carrick scored in his NH- or not his NHL debut, his season debut. And uh, Trevor Zegers had two primary assists, which coincided with an immediate demotion to the AHL, <laughs> which, which obviously has more behind it. And, and we're going to cover that pretty in-depth here on uh, on today's show as well but uh, obviously the game that we're all coming from here is the the ducks big 5-1 win over the san jose sharks it's one of those wins in a tough season that if they had to win a game it kind of feels nice right because it's mm-hmm. the sharks are fighting for a playoff spot with the arizona coyotes they had a bunch of games in hand and were only five points behind with the loss tonight even if they win their games in hand they can't catch up uh, to the Coyotes, and I think they'd be one point behind them. So it's a it's a nice it's a, it's a nice kind of added bonus to a win in in a season where we don't get too many. Yeah, um, I think that's right. I think you know, like you said, there's not a lot of up moments in this as far as whole games, and so just to kind of have a nice one where they run out there and run over the Sharks is kind of nice. You know, um, five goals is always good, even if you know the other coach gives you one of them for free. Um, so, I mean, I'll take it. I'm, I'm fine with that. Boosting the goal differential, even though it means exactly. absolutely nothing. It's always nice to shell Martin Jones a little bit too. Just, uh, yeah, he added, was having a way too good of a streak. eh? Yeah. Added benefit there, uh, to, to kind of put some past him. But uh, as for kind of lineups for this game, uh, obviously we mentioned out. You know, let's, we might as well just cover that now. We're just, we're going to talk about it a bunch, but, uh, Zegers ended up getting sent, back to the American Hockey League. And uh, we got some much-needed transparency from the Ducks organization, which is something we haven't gotten, Mm -hmm. I mean, really ever, right, when they make these types of decisions. I mean, to be honest, it kind of shows that they knew there was going to be outrage uh, when they Mm -hmm. they send them down. I think the initial tweet that kind of started everything off was Elliot Tiford tweeted out the press release uh, that he got, I'm guessing, in, in an email about Trevor Zegers being sent back to the San Diego Gulls and 
that was kind of the first little taste everybody got. And of course, three minutes later, this is the quickest I've ever seen the Ducks respond to anything on social media. They'll make a trade and tweet it out three days later. But this, is, <laughs> this was, the, this was the, the quickest I've ever seen them respond. Uh, they were out pretty quick with a quote from uh, Bob Murray that was explaining why Trevor Zegers was sent back down to the American Hockey League. So I'll kind of read this quote for anybody who hasn't seen it. I'm sure you all have. But uh, this is this is from Bob Murray uh, yesterday explaining the Zegers uh, demotion, or I guess you can call it, to San Diego. He said, our goal is to help Trevor transition more smoothly into the NHL, so we started him out on the wing. He's ahead of our scheduled progression, and then as a result, we are moving him to center effective immediately. He will need some experience in the AHL first, but our expectation is that he will be back with us in the near future and play center for the Ducks for years to come. So ultimately, he's sent back down to the AHL to get some games uh, down the middle of the ice and then eventually be called back up to the Ducks, whether that's this season uh, for a few games or into next season. We don't really know. It's fairly vague there, but we do know there is kind of a behind-the-scenes motive for also not playing Trevor Zegras the rest of the season in the NHL, and that's so he doesn't hit in a crude season and can uh, hit to UFA status in eight years rather than, than seven years. So I think if we do see him back up, even if he does well at, at center immediately for San Diego, it's likely not until probably the final, well, I guess that would be nine nine games of the season. He's played 17, so yeah. he's got to stay under 27. So, yeah, just the final nine games of the season, maybe. Yeah, I think that's what it'll be. I think they'll send him down there and they'll give him as many games as they can. And then, you know, whether they bring him up for the full nine or, you know, they, they play it at eight or seven or whatever, I don't think is going to make much of a difference. Um, I think ultimately they do intend to try to bring him back up and maybe get him a couple games at center before the season is out. Um, you know, maybe they're hoping after the trade deadline, they'll have some people moved around and they can start, you know, trying to put guys in positions where maybe they see them fitting long-term things like that. Um, yeah, it was really weird. I think, um, to watch it kind of be universally praised as this moment of, you know, incredible transparency and and candor from an organization that is just, you know, at times, like, I think we've said it on here more than once, but like, it just does feel like sometimes like they just kind of have a disdain for the fan base and they have no interest in communicating. And I think you were right when you said it seems to show almost um, they knew this was going to be different than than normal um, as far as the way that it was it was received. And so, you know, like you said, they, right away they had that uh, graphic and all that stuff set up and they dropped it. And so they were able to kind of get out in front of it before it really got away. And, you know, it's funny, just like it kind of shows a level of awareness on their part um, that it's frustrating that they don't seem to bring to the table more often, which as far as like understanding why they need to address it, why it's going to, you know, put fans, you know, kind of put them off. I think, you know, he's him and him and Drysdale were really the two, the two big things going this year. And so to not, to know that one of them was getting sent down, I think would have been hard for people to take. And I think the way that they have done it, you know, if you want to see, be cynical and say that it is more about that UFA year or you want to kind of take them at their word and say it's more about him playing center uh, at kind of a medium level before coming back up, it's probably a mix of both. Um, 
you know, it's a valid reason. I think you can quibble with it if you want. It doesn't necessarily, I don't think everybody thinks it's the right decision and there's some other stuff, but overall, I, you know, I appreciate what they did. I appreciate that they told us what was going on and I don't disagree with the plan in so far as the, the underlying thought process. Yeah. I, I think it's one of the, the smartest, if not maybe the only smart move the the Ducks organization has made in terms of handling Trevor Zegers this season. That might be a bit tough. Um, but there, there has been some concerns among the fan base on, on how they've handled his minutes and, and his role in some games in, in terms of protecting him a little bit too much. But this is one of those decisions that, you know, before you hear the reasoning, there's obviously a lot of concern. And, and I think, you know, right away, a lot of fans kind of snap back saying, well, what, you know, this guy just put up two assists, two primary assists the last night, looked like the Ducks best player. Then all of a sudden gets sent back down to San Diego. But then the reasoning comes out and, it really is one you can't argue with, right? I mean, the last thing you want to do for this kid, I think, if you're planning on developing him as a center, is throw him right down the middle of the ice in the at the NHL after playing him on the wing for the last couple of games here, or, or for, I guess, the first 17 games of his NHL career. And then, bam, you're right down the middle here. We're not going to give you kind of a runway. You're You're thrown right into the fire. So... Mm-hmm. Sending him back down to San Diego, giving him some time to adjust, get used to playing center again um, on a full-time basis. Last time he did that was was at BU, so it's been a little bit, not forever, but it's been a while since uh, since he's played down the middle of the ice, and it'll be some stiffer competition than he was used to at the NCAA level. So, you know, give him a couple games to adjust, and I think on the other side of that agenda, that it, that accrued season does kind of come into play here, and you kind of kill two birds with one stone if you're the Ducks organization here and say, you know, on the surface, you're saying, oh, you're sending him down to San Diego to transition him to center, and we're, right. we don't want to throw him to the fire here at the NHL level, and, oh, well, it just so happens, you know, he, we're going to keep him down there until mm-hmm. he there's only nine games left in the season or so and call him back up if he's ready. And, you know, oh, he just slid under the 27-game mark and doesn't hit the accrued season. So, you know, at the end, at the end, they kind of get what they want without without really angering the fan base too much, because now you can't really argue that accrued season um, you know, factor that we were arguing, uh, arguing a couple weeks ago. Right. Where we were saying, OK, this is ridiculous. Just play the kid. Who cares if he hits UFA status one year earlier or one year later? Uh, and now you know they've kind of got this fallback options here to say, oh, you know, well, we want to move him to center ice. And it's such a logical reason for sending him back down. You can't sit there and really say, oh, well, that's a dumb decision. Yeah, well, that's the other thing they did, right, is they kind of they kind of gave themselves a little bit of cover when when they praised him. And they're like, oh, he's actually well ahead of our expectations. And so, you know, we weren't expecting to want to put him at center here. We were going to let him play out the season and winger, you know, is kind of the undertone. And they're like, so we're going to send him down back and hopefully we can have him up by the end of the season. And, you know, exactly like you said, it just so happens, you know, when the season's over, he's going to play 23, 24 games or whatever it is. And yeah, like, I don't, I don't mind it. I think it's, you know, I think to a certain extent, you know, we kind of saw this take place over a couple of years with Isaac Lundestrom, right? Where he would come up and he would kind of shift to the wing on a fourth or third line role. Uh, and then he would go down and he would kind of work on his game playing at center in San Diego or overseas. Um, and then, you know, this year we'd seen him and he seems to have really matured into a an NHL center. Um, 
And so it makes sense that they would be handling Zegers the exact same way as far as that kind of process of allowing him to see what the NHL game is like and have an opportunity when he goes back down to alert center to kind of have in the back of his mind, you know, what is what it's like at the next level. You know, I think that gives him a little bit of that advantage that we talked about before with like having a little bit of taste of what it's like. So. Yeah, they've definitely taken a more protective approach with Trevor Zegras than they mm-hmm. have with some of their prospects in the past, right? Where Isaac Lindstrom was thrown down the middle for his original, I think, seven or nine game stint and played center for all, you know, every single one of those games. And he's played center pretty much every game since, except a few games where he shifted to the wing to make way for other guys to, to play up the middle. Sam Steele, uh, since his NHL debut, came in as a center. They played him at center, and just like Lindstrom, a few times he's been shifted to the wing to kind of make way for some other guys to play down the middle. But Zegris has taken a different approach that we haven't seen from the Ducks organization where they're starting him on the wing to kind of ease his way in to the NHL and then saying, okay, now we're going to send him back down to the NHL. It's not because he's playing bad but because we want to you know, give him a bit of a transition period here to move back to the center of the ice. And mm-hmm. honestly, I don't expect that to be a long transition for Trevor Zegers. This isn't like a it's a kid who's been playing on, on the wing for his entire career, and then all of a sudden you want to move him to center, and he's got to learn how to play center and learn the game uh, and, and kind of you know learn those responsibilities of being a player who plays out the middle of the ice. This is a guy who was drafted as a center, you know, played as a center, uh, for you know various times with the United States national team development program played as a center with Boston University. So this is a guy who is, you know, born and bred as a center. Uh, just so happens you can get it done as a winger too. So I don't I don't expect that transition to take long. There might be a few games of rust just so he kind of gets used to some of those defensive responsibilities, taking draws again uh, against some tougher opposition. But I'd imagine, you know, three or four games into to his AHL assignment here that, uh, you know, we're seeing uh, a more comfortable Trevor Zegers up the middle of the ice. And, I mean, just knowing the way he torched the AHL when he was down there last time and the way he's been playing with the Ducks as of late, the the offensive flair and, and, and the talent isn't going anywhere. Uh, it's just going to be that adjustment again to some of the responsibilities of, of playing down the middle. That might take him a bit here, but uh, it's going to be hard to keep him down there long, right? I, I know the mm-hmm. accrued season thing kind of comes into it, but at some point he, again, just like we said at the beginning of the season here, he's going to be knocking on the door again and and uh, playing his way back into the lineup. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, like you said, I think every time, you know, you talk about someone playing center or playing wing and what the difference is, they always talk about, you know, the defensive responsibilities and making sure that you're like the first man back or the high man, you know, in the zone and things like that. And I, I think one of the things that I'm I'm kind of excited for is to see if he can use that high-level hockey IQ to affect the game defensively, right? Um, you know, kind of use his position a little bit more center in the ice to be able to like read plays and things like that. And maybe, you know, kind of cut break away, uh, breakouts off before they start or anything like that. I just think it'll be interesting to see if he's able to use his hockey IQ to help him be an effective player defensively and how, you know, that might be a little bit more of an attacking thing 
than a defending thing just based on his ability to jump plays in the neutral zone or uh, in the defensive zone. So I um, I just think it'll be interesting to see see how that happens. But yeah, I don't think it'll take him very long. No, I, I could imagine. Again, it would be different if they were trying to, let's say, convert Ricardo Raquel back to, to center ice or, um, you know, convert Jacob Perot to a center. I know he's played center on occasion. He's done pretty well at it, but he's been primarily a winger throughout his career. It's a bit of a mm-hmm. different transition at that point. But with uh, with Zegers, it's a guy who, you know, up until basically this year was playing primarily center. Uh, at the World Junior Championship this year where he dominated, he was playing as a center, occasionally on the wing. But he, he's just one of those versatile players where if you have some guys who can really only play down the middle of the ice, sure, you can shift into wing. And I'm sure we'll see that throughout Trevor Zegers' career. But it's clear that the Ducks want him to be a center. And this kind of clears up a question we had going into this year that mm-hmm. you know we have looked at the development path of a lot of Ducks prospects and said, okay, well, if they want to use him as a center, they're going to use him as a center right away because that's the path we've seen with Ricardo Raquel and Sam Steele and you know Isaac Lindstrom and you know keep dating back to to Duck centers you know, Ryan Getzlaff and I think this is a notable shift in their development of players and especially you know some of their top prospects that they're willing to maybe I don't want to say adjust but yeah you know adjust their development process for these types of guys where now, you know, maybe Trevor Zegers is unique and we don't see this again, but it is kind of a shift of, of how they've developed centers in the past. And we'll have to see how that pans out for them. But I think Trevor Zegers is definitely a unique talent where it's hard to say if this is kind of an approach that they're going to take moving forward. And one that, you know, we have to get some more Trevor Zegers like forwards in the system to see how they handle the development. Cause we really haven't had a forward of this, kind of capacity and capability uh, since Bobby Ryan. And I know you've mentioned that uh, a few times in the past. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I mean, you, like you said, we talked about it a bunch and, and the degree that we thought, um, you know, when he first came up and he was playing on the wing, I got, I got a little anxious um, that he was going to really end up just staying out there on the wing. And, you know, his offensive talent is so high that I, I don't know that there's any part of it I don't know. Let me say this. I don't know that it's other than in the way, this could sound funny, but other than in like kind of the classic way that we think about these things, I'm not always certain how much being a center means, right? Because we have heard a little bit the conversation change to being less about center and wing, but more about F1, F2, F3. And you know, kind of looking at the forward group as a whole and more about being situational with like, when you see you're the third guy in, this is your responsibility. But we also know that the Ducks are a a more traditional organization um, with how they do things and how they view things. And so him being sent out there, especially with there being some conversation uh, about his size and his ability to kind of hold up to physical play, I do wonder if that was the whole point of this first bit. Like maybe we do need to give the Ducks organization a little bit credit for just being like, look, let's just throw him up there at wing and see how he does. And we'll get a pretty good idea pretty quick if we think we can move him to the center. And if so, then maybe we can whatever, Uh, you know, and to your point, it might just be that they recognized his ability and 
they understand why he's different than some of the more uh, some of the picks they've had recently, like Steele or Larson or uh, Lundestrom and things like that, and the way that they've handled those players. And so, yeah, I, I think we probably won't know until a year or two, uh, and we get an idea with maybe some of these last recent picks and then whatever uh, pick that we make in the lottery this year um, and see the way that they handle those guys who should have that kind of assumed high level. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the top end of this year's draft, if they take a, you know, a Manny Beniers or a Kent Johnson, who both play for Michigan, uh, Beniers is more of a center, but has played wing in the past, and Johnson's more of a winger who's played center in the past, and it will be interesting to see, you know, a, a guy at that kind of draft level in terms of where they went in, in, as a top 10 pick and, and how they'll develop those guys going forward because, you know, we've only seen – two examples we've seen Zegers as a forward and Drysdale as a defenseman mm-hmm. and you know prior to that it was Bobby Ryan as a forward and Hampus Lindholm as a defenseman as top picks and how they developed those guys so we have you know at least one this year if not another next year and, and beyond here and, and to, to kind of see how they're going to approach developing those guys and uh, you know we've we speculated this at numerous times this year on, on a new G, GM and a new head coach and the way they mm-hmm. developed Zegers and Drysdale this year could mean nothing, you know, a couple of years down the road with a new general manager and a new head coach and a new approach to developing, you know, those young players. So you take it as a case by case basis at this point, it'll be fun at, at the very least to see Trevor Zegers back in San Diego. I know a lot of people joked when that, uh, that news came out that they'll actually be able to get some use out of their AHL TV subscriptions now <laughs> that uh, Zegers and, uh, and Drysdale both got called up and, and weren't playing down there. So there wasn't a lot of guys to, to watch. And Jacob Perot was out of the lineup injured until just this last weekend. So to have Zegers back down there, Perot healthy, and he has four points in his last two games. And, you know, them at least playing together on the power play, if not on, on a line together, uh, will be fun to kind of watch that future pairing. That I know a lot of people are excited to watch of, you know, a dynamic playmaking center like Trevor Zegers and a, you know, a, a really lethal goal-scoring winger like Jacob Perot. So at the very least, you know, it does kind of... Oh, you were of... talking about Hunter Drew? <laughs> yeah. Hunter Drew, we have a to throw him in there, too. What about Drew? Uh, a line of uh, Perot, Zegris, and Hunter Drew? Let's do it. Are you kidding me? Hunter Drew basically turns into the Dustin Penner of that line, and last time we had that, it worked out all right. The, you well, know, I guess the time before that, just he did have a second stint that didn't go quite as well. I think I think this kind of plays into another topic that we want to discuss here. I was going to go into the Getzlaff uh, retirement stuff. Well, we'll get to that after here because uh, a lot of people are talking about the Josh Manson um, trade rumors that kind of came out a little bit today. And, you know, it's funny to talk about Hunter Drew playing on the wing because the goals have so many defensemen. But uh, Axel Anderson comes over from Sweden, so they get another defenseman down in San Diego with two I mean, you could argue two NHL quality defensemen already down in San Diego with Josh Mahura and Brandon Gooley and a big logjam of defensemen up in the mm-hmm. Ducks already. Could you, could you argue? Are we a hundred percent sure that Brandon Gooley, Brandon uh, Gooley, yeah, is, I mean, I want to say he's an NHL caliber defenseman. Maybe not NHL caliber, but guys who have had NHL experience or considerable NHL experience, you know, more than a couple of games here or there, like, like Simon Benoit has had and a few other guys down there. Like these are guys who have been up for, you know, anywhere from 15 to 20 games, if not more, I think in, in Brendan Gooley's case. So, 
you do kind of have this logjam of defensemen where it doesn't mean you have to make a trade, but you've got another one coming over from uh, from Sweden right now who's going to be wanting to get some ice time, and I'm sure the San Diego coaching staff and the Ducks organization are going to want him to get some playing time here. And, uh, you know, with the rumors swirling around a lot of the Ducks forwards and roster players, uh, it's no surprise that Josh Manson's name has kind of jumped back into the discussion here. Uh, nothing really concrete. It's a, it's fairly similar to the Josh Manson rumors we've heard over the years, basically, mm-hmm. that he's someone to watch, interest is picked up, you know, he's got that one more year left on his contract. It's a, it's a pretty easy contract for the Ducks to eat salary on and not really be hurt on it for longer than, than just the end of this year and next year. And that the Ducks are looking for kind of young NHL ready assets, which is something we've heard about, you know, four or five mm-hmm. times uh, this season so far. So it, it is nothing new. But then, you know, that was from the fourth period that that quote I was mentioning there. And then LeBron on insider trading uh, reported also that the Ducks are listening to offers on, on Josh Manson. And of course, as we've heard again, a hundred times that they really like him. It's not a guy that they are actively shopping but they're just listening to offers and the price just like it is on Ricard Raquel is, is fairly high. And I think he quoted a first round pick and a top prospect as kind of the starting point for a discussion for Josh Manson and, uh, and that the Winnipeg Jets and, and the Carolina Hurricanes were, were interested uh, in him, whether they're interested at that price or not, that that's not something mm-hmm. that was discussed, but that is, that is a lot, you know, Josh Manson is a great defensive defenseman. Uh, don't get me wrong. And, you know, he's had a tough couple of years in a very, very poor ducks team playing with some not so great uh, teammates at that time. But uh, that is a, that is a hole. If you could get a first round pick and a top prospect for Josh Manson. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think honestly that that reflects uh, the value that the organization like kind of has, like the esteem that they hold him in. Like I think they definitely do see him as someone that they shouldn't trade away unless it's undeniably worth it, right? You know, like there are players who you can make a marginal trade for or an iffy trade and be like, you know what, we'll take it. It's something to help us go going forward or whatever. I think with them, they go, they would be just as happy, like you said, keeping him for the rest of his career uh, as they would, you know, not doing anything at all. So, like, I think that's going to be the price. I think the thing to remember is Josh Manson has a 12-team no-trade clause, so it'll be interesting to see how all of that kind of factors in. You know, when the Dubois rumors were coming out, we did hear that Henrique had columbus on his list uh i do wonder if that was maybe from henrik's camp as far as kind of trying to just get his name out of the rumors that i think uh people in anaheim and around the league maybe had as far as henrik being someone who could contribute to a winning uh, a competing team and you know had a contract and all that kind of stuff but you know he had the no trade clause um I think you're I think you said it exactly right, right? The other thing is is that none of this is new information. The only thing that's changed is how the how close we are to the deadline. Um, you know, I think they are two assets that fit a couple of different things, right? They fit that kind of Blake Coleman thing which has come up, uh, and Barkley Gaudreau thing which has come up as far as like they have that extra year. 
Um, they're both players who people around the league have seen play at a very high level. And they fit roles that every team is looking to add. You can never have too many good defense in, and you can never have too many guys who can score goals. So everything about them is attractive. The complicating factors are two things. They are, are their contracts a little too high given the flat cap and the lost revenue and internal budgets that teams might be operating on because of the uncertain finances going forward? Uh, and the other thing is, is, is Anaheim movable on its price? Because if it's you match our price or nothing, then... I don't know that there's much, uh, I don't know how much someone else is going to be willing uh, to like engage with them, I think is the way I want to say it. Um, But if they're willing to come down, then there's a better than not chance that we probably see at least one of them get moved before Monday. Yeah, I think for Ricardo Raquel, it it hinges on how the recovery from his injury is going Mm -hmm. uh, at this point. I I know we got an update earlier today that uh, he's kind of getting back uh, into training and practice and ramping things up a bit, and then hopefully he'll be back soon. And, you know, obviously that that bodes well, you know, for his his prospective trade that that could take place before the trade deadline but yeah josh manson is is again another interesting one only makes 4.1 million dollars for for this year and next it's an easy contract where you could retain you know upwards of 50 percent on it and it, it doesn't hurt you too much uh, you know it barely hurts you at all for this year because of of the reduced salaries being this far into the season and you know two million dollars next year especially with gets last eight million coming out the books and Corey perry's buyout not really hitting you that hard if reducing it by you know retaining 50 percent gets you that extra piece that you want or a second turns into a first or a you know a b prospect turns into an a prospect it's worth it at that point, and, and and it invites more teams into you know the the trade market for Josh Manson. Teams that are up against the cap, maybe teams like Toronto, and and not just the teams that have an abundance of cap space, like Carolina or you know potentially like Winnipeg if they move some contracts out. But I, I do think those are are two of the best fits for him. So it is not surprising to me that uh, you know those two teams are interested, and in, and in obviously you know. If, if the price is pretty high, I know a lot of people are looking at Cole Perfetti from the Winnipeg Jets, which that would be that'd be a tough one to get done just because of how valuable he is. And the fact that the Jets just drafted him. Now, I don't think he was their number one choice at that spot, but he fell to them at that spot and they just had to take him. But outside of Cole Perfetti, they've got Billy Hainola, who's kind of their second best prospect. And it drops off a little bit there. I know in the Eric Stevens article we referenced um, on the last show, uh, there was a trade in there that featured a 2021 first in Kristen Veselainen, who's a former first round pick of the Winnipeg Jets as well, which is a, a deal that I could see maybe more likely happening. Uh, you know, Hainola is a defenseman. I don't think the Jets are really in a position to give up a young defenseman. I don't think they want to give up Cole Perfetti for you know a year and a half of Josh Manson. So at that point, I think Kristen Veselainen becomes the next best option. And if you're getting a first round pick from the jets, it's not the worst deal that you could get for Josh Manson. I think it fits kind of around the price they're looking for. If they're looking for a first round pick in the top prospect, and it fits the bill of the type of player the ducks are looking for. Not a guy who is, you know, 17 or 18 
but I believe Veselainen is 20, if not 21. And, you know, he's just kind of breaking his way into being a regular NHL player at this point and potentially given a increased role in a young Ducks lineup. He, he kind of adds to that young core that they're building. So, I, you know, that could be one I, I see more likely as much as everybody would love to get Cole Perfetti in return uh, for Josh Mintz. And you would have to think they would have to add to that deal, especially if you're getting a first round pick as well. Well, I, I I think it's interesting, right? Because the one thing that we always kind of lose sight of, I think, and it's very easy to, uh, when we talk about trades, is the context of both teams. Blake Wheeler's on a big contract, and he has not had a good year. I think he's certainly capable of performing at a level that gets closer to justifying that contract. Um, but I also think if you win a Stanley Cup, it doesn't matter. I don't think anybody cares about that contract if in the first couple of years you win a Stanley Cup. And so they've got Mark Shifley, who I think is already 26 or 27. They just added Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's only 21. You know, they've got a good young forward group with guys at kind of all the right age points. I don't know that I would let Cole Perfetti stop me from adding someone that was a difference maker, um, especially if I thought I could keep them uh, going forward. Because, you know, two two kicks at the can with Josh Manson in that top four, I, I think that's really big. You know, if you're looking at a, a Josh Morrissey and Josh Manson kind of top line and then like Neil Pionk and somebody else on your second pair – um, you know, I think you're in a good spot. And again, they've got Connor Hellebuck, who, you know, we've seen goalies just form. The form just drops off uh, overnight sometimes, you know. And, and so I do wonder how much they may actually be pressing. I think Winnipeg makes a lot of sense for all parties involved. I just wonder if Manson would want to go there. You know, I think they would probably uh, be on his list. And so unless there's maybe a kind of handshake deal that, as soon as he's able to get an extension, they're going to sign him to a big one, protect him in the expansion draft, all that kind of stuff. That's the part of it that we're going to have to wait and see. Carolina being the other one makes sense. I think the fact that there's only really two teams out there does make me a little anxious that there it's less likely for a deal to get done because, again, he seems like the type of player plenty of teams could be adding uh, or should be interested in adding and if there's only really two, and one of them really is the only one that's a legit contender as of right now, I, I wonder how much the market is really there. Um, you know, yeah. I, I do wonder if the trade deadline is going to be a dud this year just by happenstance. Yeah, it, it's going to be an interesting trade deadline because I feel like, you know, there's a lot of teams who are going to be pressured or feel like they're pressured in to add that that piece. Teams maybe like the Florida Panthers who are just playing exceptionally well this year but i don't know if it's sustainable for an 82 game season right and this might be you know with the panthers panthers they could be sitting here saying okay well we gotta we gotta push for this now like we got a chance to win this year we've got some young assets that are not really doing anything for us right now and to bring in a player potentially josh manson to replace aaron ekblad who's down for the year 
maybe this is, you know, our chance to, to go for it here. And, you know, I know in, in Eric Stevens' article, there was a, a fan proposed trade of Grigori De- Denisenko and a second round pick from 2021. Uh, there was a mention in there of potentially trying to increase that to Owen Tippett and the Panthers first rounder, depending on how desperate they are. I think if you were trying to do a deal with Florida, you got to play in on that desperation uh, of, of them losing Aaron Ekblad and not really having too many options to replace him at this point in time. And, and they could be a team again, that have the cap space to get things done that would like, you know, two years or a year and a half of, uh, of Josh Manson uh, and, you know, having him again next year, even when Aaron Ekblad does come back and, and having that kind of stronger defense core to rely on, it may be a right side of Ekblad Manson and Mackenzie Weger, which is, you know, a pretty formidable uh, right side of defense to, to roll out there on a nightly basis. So that could be another team that kind of gets thrown into the discussion. Of course, I got to mention the Philadelphia Flyers too on mm-hmm. our, uh, our trade. I was our who says no Patreon uh, bonus episode that we put out. That was one of uh, both of our favorite trades that we ended up putting together was uh, I don't remember the full details of it, but it was Josh Manson, Ryan Miller, and I think a Ducks third to the Flyers for Cam York. Like Scott uh, Lawton or something like that? Yeah, Cam York, a conditional first. And I think Justin Braun was the mm, yeah. additional piece to make the cap work there, and Josh Manson was 50% retained in that deal. Um, so that would be, I mean, that's still one I love. Um, just, again, maybe for, for the fact that it's uh, Anaheim Hills native and Cam York that gets to come home and play with the Ducks, and you get a conditional first. That, that could be a pretty good pick if the Flyers don't make the playoffs, and could end up being 2022 and then Justin Brown comes in to fill Josh Manson's hole this year on defense um, and then makes the cap work for Philadelphia for this year and next. So there's a lot of options out there. I don't, you know, it just all depends at the end of the day with all the factors going into this year's trade deadline, how, how interested and how desperate are teams going to be to add Josh Manson? Cause whatever team adds him is going to need to protect him in the expansion draft. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of throws a wrench into a lot of teams plans and, and really throws a wrench into the, the number of suitors that mm-hmm. would be after Josh Manson. And then you still got to get through his, his no trade uh, team list as well and make sure that of the remaining interested parties are any of them on that, that list of teams he's not willing to go to. Yeah. I, I really think, you know, I I really do think that it's as simple as like Raquel and Manson are perfect guys to add at the deadline. They are exactly the type of player that you can just drop in your lineup and they're going to do their thing. It might take them a couple of games to, you know, find their footing as far as chemistry with their line mates and things like that. But they're not players where you worry that changing their situation is volatile. Um, they're consistent players. And they're impact players on good teams. Um, but like you said, you've got the expansion draft. You've got the flat cap. You've got the finances as far as just lost revenue. You know, as much as we talk about the flat cap, there's also just like the actual cash out that, the you know, the organization is paying and payroll and salaries and different things like that. Um, so... You know, I, I think it really does come down to how many teams think they have a legitimate shot and how many of those teams want to invest in that shot. You know, I mean, we were talking about this earlier. Uh, Eric Johnson only played four games this year. 
you know, he's got two more years left at six million on the contract he's on. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's no reason to think that turning that into Josh Manson doesn't make a ton of sense and do wonders of good for um, Colorado going forward. The problem with that is, is they've got <clears throat> Kale McCarr and Sam Gerrard and uh, <clears throat> what do you call it? Devin Taves. And they've got plenty of players that they're going to have to worry about protecting when everything comes up. And they've got a ton of forwards, so it's not like they can go eight. Uh, you know, so it's just there's so many outside factors that it is going to take someone to just say, screw it, I want to win a cup, and and to make that first move. And maybe if somebody makes the first move, then that starts a little bit of a chain reaction. But if that move happens too late, then it could be, you know, one team makes one or move, and a couple teams make a couple small moves, and nothing really changes all over um, as far as the balance of power. <clears throat> you know, I think it. we did talk about this before, I think, but the shortening the quarantine from 14 to seven days for U.S. to Canada is huge. Uh, that should help a little bit, especially given how weird the North is right now. Like all of a sudden Winnipeg's second and, you know, Edmonton's in third and stuff like that. Like this is one of those situations where it just, it feels like there are too many excuses readily available for GMs to not do something that I, I do wonder if they're not just, if it's not a thing, you know, I, I really do wonder how much GMs are all just going to sit on their hands and wait to get to the expansion draft before they start trying to really make some changes to their roster. Well, yeah, we're only five days out from Monday's trade deadline, which I think is, is surprising how quickly it's kind of come up upon us at, at this point. And, you know, the only real uh, kind of news or signs of impending trades have been two players that have been held, held out of the lineup when Kyle Palmieri for the devils has been held out of the lineup with the chances mm -hmm. of him being traded fairly likely. And then just today, Taylor Hall was held out of the Buffalo Sabres lineup for the exact same reason. And when you look at Ricard Raquel again, like those are the two other big names in the market of guys who are likely going to get moved. Both of them are unrestricted free agents at the end of this season. So they are pure rentals. And, you know, with those guys being held out and likely to be moved, you would have to think like that. It's one of them who are going to be the big domino who's going to fall first. And at least on the forward side of things. Uh, you're going to start to see other teams get desperate and these guys start going here. So whether it's Paul Mary who ends up going first or Taylor Hall who goes first, then you'll start to see Ricard Raquel's name kind of shoot up the top of, of people's list in terms of players available. And if you're the Ducks, you got to try and take advantage of that because there's going to be only so many buyers, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for, for this interesting trade deadline. And with Ricard Raquel being kind of the interesting case of having such a friendly cap hit and then being on the your roster for next season he kind of provides maybe a different option out there on the market than say what a taylor hall or a cal Palmieri brings to your team as as just a real kind of pure rental and honestly this might be the only year that we see pure rentals being more enticing to teams than the two-year contractor, you know, mm -hmm. the the next year that Ricard Raquel has, just because of the impending expansion draft, mm -hmm. where you know you bring in Kyle Palmieri, 
you tell a team, you know, he's not only a rental, but he is 100% a rental because we're not going to try and resign him because then we could lose him to Seattle. So he's coming in and we're literally just renting him for a playoff run. And I think that's where you might see teams like Colorado and teams uh, like Minnesota go that route and be a bit more desperate to bring in a rental rather than bringing in Ricard Raquel. And then it kind of leaves those teams who have that extra that extra spot open in expansion draft who could then take a stab at Ricard Raquel as maybe their best option. So I think the market is still out there for guys like Ricard Raquel and Josh Manson. Just the number of teams, I think, drastically goes down because of their contract situation, because of teams having to get ready and prepare for the, C- the Seattle expansion draft. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, I think we could go through the entire league, right? And we could say pretty quickly off the top of our head which one of them would fit and we could probably put one of them on every team you know maybe with the exception of the bottom couple of teams uh you you know buffalo ottawa detroit things like that but i mean any team realistically with even an outside shot of making the playoffs like they would be welcome additions again the question is just going to be is how uh, eager are GMs and owners going to be to make these types of decisions when there's kind of so much safety built into not trying to do things that you might, this might be the only year you can really get away with not being a big buyer um, just based on everything going on and the expansion draft and all that kind of stuff. The other thing I think is interesting and I've heard, uh, I think it was Merrick say this on 31 thoughts was he made the comment that, you know, draft picks just aren't the most valuable this year uh, because one, there's not a ton of um, footage or exposure. You know, the 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 minor league guys or the 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 juniors, geez Louise, uh, you know, those guys just aren't playing right now. Or if they are, they're playing in in weird spots and out of order. And there's all these things going on that is going to make you know trying to scout some of these guys difficult. On top of the fact that this isn't a draft with a super clear, um, you know, top of the draft. I think there's a it seems to be a couple of names at the top that everybody kind of agrees on. But I don't think there's a clear cut number one. I think I saw something that like there are like five different guys that you could easily talk into going number one. So like it's weird to me that in a year where maybe teams would be more interested, especially some of those middle teams in getting out from under those picks to bring in difference makers for a run, it's it's disincentivized uh, just because of the rest of the context. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, which way that kind of goes as far as uh, will we see teams be more conservative or will we see teams start to make concessions with each other in order to get some of these trades and try to get some of these assets? You know, do we see more an increase in conditional picks? Do we see... Uh, an increase in retained salary, things like that. Um, the little stuff that you can do to help kind of grease the wheels a little bit. I'll be curious to see 
if that comes into play uh, in the week leading up to the draft or the trade deadline. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if it's a a buyer's or seller's market. Um, you know, in terms of the prices paid for some of these guys and what you know, Kyle Palmieri and a Taylor Hall and potentially Ricard Raquel and Josh Manson are going to fetch on on the open market and whether you know that many teams are going to be interested. Um, it it could potentially, like we said, be a tough market to sell in with only a few teams really interested in adding some of these long-term pieces, or it could be a, a very tough market to buy in with a lot of these guys getting snapped up mm-hmm. and teams trying to make a run at a shortened season and, and potentially an easier route to a Stanley Cup than, than they would normally have in, in a full 82-game season with the, the regular division. So it is going to be <clears throat> interesting to see how they approach this. And we only, we're only five days away, and, and we really haven't had you know, really any rumblings, which is odd for a trade deadline to be five days out. And, mm-hmm. and you see, you know, two high profile names get held out of the lineup. Finally, but really no deals that have gone through. Like I think league wide, the last trade to be made was the Alexander Volkov trade. I don't mm-hmm. think we've had a, another trade since then. So, you know, where we are kind of a couple of days away here from potentially some, some of the bigger names getting moved, but, uh, it's going to be a really interesting time to be an Anaheim Ducks fan and and see how they approach this deadline because it's a unique one to say the least. But one guy who I think we can firmly scratch off the trade list uh, is Ryan Getzlaff. I don't think he's a guy that's going to get moved at the deadline, but we did get some reports about Ryan Getzlaff and his future with the team in a different way where Frank Cervelli on the DFL podcast said that uh, he's going to throw this at you you wouldn't be totally shocked if Ryan Getzlaff retired after this season. I know this is something we've kind of briefly discussed before. Uh, we all kind of expected Ryan Getzlaff to sign another contract after this, even if it was a one-year deal, and come back no matter what. Uh, it is kind of an interesting twist in the saga here, hearing you know somebody else, somebody high up at least, uh, you know, among hockey minds, speculate about. Ryan Getzlaff uh, thinking about retirement. Now, now this could just simply be Cerebelli's opinion. And, you know, he thinks the way the Ducks are playing and no direction kind of in sight of, mm-hmm. of them being a better team that Ryan Getzlaff could just call it quits and doesn't want to go to another team. Or this could be him actually having some inside information, uh, you know, from Ryan Getzlaff camp or from the Ducks where Ryan Getzlaff is actually considering retiring and, and calling it quits. So, uh, it, it opens up the discussion because I think it is definitely possible, right? Uh, I don't think it's out of the question to say that Getzlaff could just take, you know, contract expires. He's been with the organization for his entire career and uh, he hangs it up and, and turns it over to the kids. I honestly think it's becoming increasingly, maybe not more likely, but getting closer to 50% in terms of whether he's going to be back next year or not. Yeah, I. Hmm. Yeah, it's weird, right? Because he's at the point in his career now where more than anything, it's going to be about how much he wants to put in the work physically, you know, in the off season to ensure that his body is able to make it through the rigors of a full uh, NHL season. You know, I don't think any of his skills, you know, he's not a speed player. He's not a, a skating agility player. There's there's nothing he's good at that doesn't allow him to age um, well, I think. It really is just going to be, is he there mentally and is he there physically? 
and those are just things we don't know you know he's never really made any comments about those um everything every time we hear it's just yeah that's something me and bob have been talking about and you know we've, we've kind of had those conversations ongoing but right now i'm just kind of focused on this and you're like oh okay cool um you know i i it definitely did seem like sarah Volley was kind of just spitballing but at the same time you know sometimes that spitballing is based on a rumor and you're looking to get somebody something else to kind of pop somewhere else to confirm it. So uh, it, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I, I would say that I think it's 65, 70, you know, like 70% that he's back next season. But, you know, if they're not able to move on from like Henrique, it becomes a question of what kind of, what kind of options do they have going forward? Where can Getzloff stay in the lineup? Because he's obviously going to be a center. Um, you know, I know Patrick Marlowe was a center at one time, and he moved to wing, and that works because of his his skill and his speed and things like that. And like Getzloff's just that's not his game. He's always going to be a center. Um, and so it'll be kind of about how much he, him and the team have a fit as far as him coming around. You know, I, I. It sounds silly, but it really just so much of this just has got to come down to what Getzloff wants to do. And we just don't have any kind of insight into that with him. We know he likes it here. We know he wants to stick around. He hasn't said anything about wanting to get traded publicly or anything like that. He's kind of alluded to the opposite multiple times. But anything could change because at the end of the day, he's just he's a human and his mind could change at any moment. And maybe if he does decide to retire, he does open up to getting traded at the deadline, right? Well, screw it. I'm going to be done this summer anyways. Let's take one more shot. I, I have no idea. And, you know, it's it's an interesting thought, but I don't know how much there is as far as things to go on from a planning perspective because of the number of things that could affect that decision for both sides. Yeah. It, it feels like an easy opinion to have from the outside looking in. And, and obviously Frank Cervelli is way more connected than any of us are. And, and there could be some substantiated evidence behind his claims that he thinks Ryan gets life is going to retire. And, and you know, whether he has that inf- inside information or not, will be something we'll probably never know. But it does just seem like, you know, if you asked anybody, I think from the outside looking in, looking at how bad the Ducks are this year, looking at their record, Ryan Getzloff's age, the fact that his contract is expiring at the end of the year, I think it's a pretty safe, you know, assumption to think that that he could want to retire at the end of this season. I don't think anybody would blame him for doing so and, and calling it quits. But I think, you know, for us who've been watching this team all year, watching Ryan Getzloff all year, looking at the the um, all-access that the Ducks put out earlier today where there it was kind of a, a pretty big Ryan Getzlaff focus where they talked to him about the the young kids coming in and the new direction of the organization. And, and it seemed like a guy who wants to stick around and expects to be mm-hmm. here for, you know, at least another couple of years. Um, you know, he did make a, a mention in that, uh, that video that the Ducks put out that, you know, whether that's with him or without him, he wants to see this organization do well. So you can read into that, you know, as much as you want. But, uh, you know, I would kind of lean in the same direction you are there in, in that it's, you know, 70 to 75% that he's going to be coming back, at least for next year. 
on a one-year deal, if not more. And then, you know, from there, um, it remains to be seen. You know, it's it's probably, you know, one-year deals or at most, you know, a two-year deal. And then they keep doing one-year deals like uh, like Joe Thornton did with the Sharks. And, and then, you know, seeing how things go from there. But I, Ryan Getz, to me, isn't too much different than, than Joe Thornton in terms of his ability right now and mm-hmm. his ability to make an impact. And, you know, Jumbo Joe's playing over 40 right now. So I wouldn't be surprised forgets left to shock everybody and play you know another, another four years in the league it all depends if that's what he wants to do right and that's what it comes down to at the end of the day is how much longer does this guy want to play in the league how much longer does he want to stick around with this organization and when's that all gonna kind of come to a head and, and a decision is going to be made so you know at the very least it would be nice to see him hit a thousand and and get yeah. to that marker and and kind of have that as as his swan song call it quits there it, you know, I'm sure he wants to hit that, and and I can't see him as you know as competitive as he is to end his career early with a chance to hit that if he came back, let's say next year for a full 82 game season, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it, you might as well. And I think he'd make the same argument. He might as well just come back for that year, similar to Ryan Miller. Might as well just come back, break a few records, or hit a few milestones you want to <laughs> yeah. hit. Just pass Dominic Ashik, no big deal. Yeah, and and then you know if you want to call it quits after that, then you you've kind of done all you came out to accomplish, right? You you've hit those milestones you wanted to hit, and I'm sure that's an important marker for Ryan Getzlaff in his career to hit that number. And I can't imagine him giving that up to allow some some of the younger kids to come in is is maybe as selfish as that sounds this is a guy who's given everything for this organization i think he deserves uh you know to to be able to come back and hit that milestone if that's something he wants to do yeah no i agree um here here's my question do you think his coming back is directly tied to henrique being on this team next year because, and, and I'm not trying to be, be funny or melodramatic, but you've got Zegris, who they're moving to center, and Lundestrom, who plays center. That's two already. Then you figure they're probably going to keep trying steal unless they trade him. They've got Derek Grant, who they seem, you know, one, he's got the two more years left on his deal, and they want him. And, you know, they seem invested in keeping him around. And then on top of that, if Getzloff comes back, and I'm just wondering, you know, are they going to move... Henrik to the wing again? Is that something that they want to do for a guy that they're paying almost six million a year to be a middle six center? You know, I, I just, I, I wonder how much their ability to move Henrik out will have an effect on Getzloff coming back just based on the roster construction and the lineup, what it, what it can look like. Yeah, it, it the the Zegers moving to center situation does kind of create, um, it, I don't want to say an unintended logjam, but adds to the logjam at center that the Ducks already have. That they say that Zegers is going to play center, and when he plays for the Ducks again, he's going to be a center, and mm-hmm. they're committed to that. And again, it it speaks to the Ducks' history of when they are committed to playing guys at center, they will play them at center until it's proven it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So it seems like Trevor Zegers is at least 
you know, short-term future with the Ducks for right now is going to be as a centerman. So that takes up a spot. And Isaac Lindstrom, as much as he's moved to the wing occasionally, they I think they want him down the middle of the ice. I think the same can be said for Sam Steele, even though he's moved to the wing before. And if Ryan Getzlaff comes back, I don't think he's coming back to play in the wing. And not that I don't think right. he'd be receptive to the idea. I just think, you know, his value to this team is down the middle of the ice. I don't know if his value is as high playing as a winger and that's something he really hasn't done before. Uh, and then it comes down to Adam Henrique as well. But then you've got five names, right? You've got Henrique, mm-hmm. Gadslav, Lindstrom, Steele, and Zegers that have to fill spots and Derek Grant. And I don't think you want any of those first five names playing as a fourth line center. So then you've got, you know, five names for three spots. And that's where you have to start making decisions of shifting guys to the wing and, and whatnot. If you're bringing all the back, I, I think best case scenario you find a way to move on from Adam Henrique. Hope somebody will give you something for him, whether it's a second round pick or first round pick or whatever. Uh, at you know maybe a retained salary at that point, and just move on and get some assets in return from him and and see what you can do at that point. I think that's the best case. But obviously, you know another option is something like you mentioned that if Getzlaff is is really considering retirement. Maybe he calls it quits here for the betterment of some of these young kids to step in. And, and I don't think that's a, an impossible situation. I think that's one where if Ryan Getzlaff was considering retirement, I think that would be one reason he would step aside is for mm-hmm. the betterment of the organization because that's something we've heard from him numerous times in the past. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. I think um, he's definitely shown that that willingness and that uh, awareness of wanting to never feel like his presence is hindering hmm, uh, hindering, you know, the team from being successful. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, what's funny is I still think that it's probably best to move out two of the guys who should be playing center for them. You know, I think in a perfect world, you're moving out Grant and Henrique. But even if it's Henrique and Steele, I think that's probably... You know, I think that's probably good. Like, I, I do wonder if there isn't approaching a point where I think we've talked about this before, as far as you just hate, hate, damn it. Uh, you you get to a point where you want to move on from a guy before the rest of the league is kind of caught on to that. Maybe he's not what he he's rumored to be or supposed to be. And I wonder if Sam Steele is getting to that that point where. Anaheim needs to take a real long, long, hard look at moving on and allowing him kind of a reset, but also getting something back for a player that still has some value uh, in the eyes of people around the league. You know, I, I don't mean to sound super down on Sam Steele. I certainly think he's still early in his career, but I think we are really starting to see Anaheim's lineup take shape in front of us. And, you know, there's going to have to be questions answered and asked and answered at a certain point and so you wonder if moving out a guy like Steele now helps to kind of solve some of those problems going forward yeah you're not realistically going to be able to keep all these guys around and I think that's what people are starting to realize and like you said the roster is starting to take shape and when you look at the future centers of this team it's it looks like it's looking like Zegers Lindstrom maybe one of Getzlaff and Henrique for the short term 
And in the long term, you know, another center you take out of the draft. And, you know, Sam Steele's starting to fall down the pecking order here. I think, you know, on the wing, you're starting to get a better picture now of Comtois and Jones and Terry and these guys stepping up and, you know, sprinkle in a, a few veterans uh, here and there as well. Silverberg, if he's still around, uh, Ricard Raquel, if, if he doesn't end up getting traded and sticks, sticks around as well. And all of a sudden you do have a roster taking shape, but at some point, yeah, so some of these guys are going to move on. It's the, the reality of, of kind of building a team. There's really only nine spots on a Ford group, at least nine prime spots for, for these guys to really be high profile, uh, produce, you know, offensive players who contribute to the production of this team. So I, you know, Sam Steele's kind of wasted, I think as, as a fourth line player, and we've seen him there occasionally this season so it'll be interesting to see the direction they go I, I would love to see the guys stick around but you are right it, it is getting to a point where you know they've got to kind of decide what they want to do with him and a few other guys and it, it might be time to, to move on but uh, let's wrap up the show with just kind of a, a little bit of housekeeping here a few extra tidbits of news um, surrounding the Ducks so they did put up uh, a few injury updates I think the other day where they said that uh, Ryan Getzlaff didn't practice. This was for, I believe, Monday. He didn't practice. as dealing with an upper body injury right now. Uh, Ricard Raquel is also dealing with an upper body injury, skated on his own, is, and is inching closer to a return. And Sonny Milano, who is listed as an upper body, but I believe we, we all assume that's a concussion at this point, uh, practiced with the team in a no-contact or non-contact jersey. So, his return is basically whenever he gets cleared safely to come back and play. And then uh, the aforementioned Sam Steele, who's dealing with a lower body injury, did not skate. So, you know, a few few guys clo- in, inching closer to return. I think Ricard Raquel is probably the closest of all of them in getting back to action. And if you're uh, looking for him to get traded at the deadline, that's probably, probably music to uh, two years for this one. But again, you know, we didn't talk too much of the game here. But Ducks win 5-1, a nice, fun win against a rival team. Some good performances from the likes of Max Jones, Isaac Lindstrom, Troy Terry, Josh Manson, Adam Henrique, John Gibson. I think the list goes on. It was a good night for a lot of Ducks players tonight. Sam mm-hmm. Carrick with, with back-to-back fights and you know clearly a guy who is trying to find a way to stick up uh, with the NHL roster. And I've been, uh, been pretty impressed with his play as of late. But uh, we'll be back. Um, I believe not for Friday's game. We're got a, a few Patreon shows coming up for the weekend. Uh, so we've kind of got some other priorities in terms of recording, but we do, or you do Steven, at least have a few interviews that, um, uh, you've put together. I know you just recorded one the other day, so we might be, uh, releasing that for either Thursday or Friday to kind of make up mm-hmm. for not having a post game show after Friday. And then uh, Stephen and I will also be sitting down at some point here, either before the trade deadline or after, with Josh Bell, who currently works for uh, FC Hockey, or, or prior to that worked for the, the Hockey Writers, uh, where Stephen and I both uh, did some writing for the Ducks in the past. And he's uh, you know pretty in tuned with the draft, is a mm-hmm. definitely a, a guy you could call a draft guru. So we'll be getting a very early look at uh, at who the Ducks could get with their potential top five pick in the 2021 NHL entry draft and what types of players um, they could add to, to the list of, of Trevor Zegras and, and Jamie Drysdale and really pushing this rebuild to, to the next level. So that will be a, a fun conversation to have. Uh, Stephen, I'll let you kind of speak quickly to the interview that uh, that you recently did and what, uh, what to look forward to there. 
Yeah, I uh, I sat down with uh, Chris Watkins uh, on Twitter. He's uh, Yellow Pinato, DJ Badig Cat. Um, I just think he's a really smart guy. He has a very you know kind of non traditional viewpoint on hockey. We talked about analytics and about trying to uh, you know how to like what does analytic hockey look like? What are certain things that you can do to try to um, you know maximize your roster, maximize your window? How uh, we talked a little bit at the end about, uh, you know, the context uh, determines the value of your assets and things like that. So it, it was kind of a weird nebulous conversation. We talked about a lot of different things, uh, but it was a really good conversation. And, uh, yeah, we'll be getting that out uh, hopefully Thursday, maybe maybe Friday um, as kind of a, uh, uh, what do you call it, like a, an olive branch for uh, not having yeah. the, uh, the Friday show. So it was great. And, you know, we're going to sit down with Josh. And then I know there's some other stuff we want to try to maybe get done. And we've got Pucks and Brews on Sunday, like you said. So it, it should be good. It'll be it'll be a fun little bit of, bit of stretch here. So, yeah, hopefully provide you guys some, you know, some exciting and, and uh, friendly content heading into the weekend again with two tough games against probably the hottest team in the NHL in, in the Colorado Avalanche. So probably a good good thing we're not going live after that Friday game. It's uh, it's bound to be a tough one uh, against the Avalanche. And then obviously Sunday and Monday, there's two games, and we always go live after the second game of the back-to-back. So uh, in terms of the return for the post-game show, it looks like we're aiming for Monday, April 12th which is trade deadline day. So we could have some big news that we're wrapping up and discussing uh, revolving the ducks and maybe not even just the ducks around some of the other big names that get moved on that day. So we'll treat that day as obviously a, a kind of summation of the three ducks games that we, we missed over that period of time, but also a bit of a, a trade deadline recap in terms of some of the big deals and hopefully uh, some of the deals surrounding the ducks. So, um, as as Stephen mentioned too, if you are a a Patreon listener, uh, stay tuned and stick around for a bit of a primer before Sunday's game. We'll be recording pucks and brews, uh, which is always a blast. It'll be be fun, kind of recording that just before uh, the Avalanche game on Sunday. So if uh, if you're a Patreon member, look out for that. If you're not, head over to Patreon.com/slash/ForeverMighty and check out some of the the bonus uh, bonus content we put out there. It's always a lot of fun to kind of sit back and obviously talk the ducks, but also uh, some of the big news around the NHL as well. So we'll, uh, we'll see you guys uh, as a kind of a whole group here uh, after Monday night against the Sharks games. Appreciate everybody who came out live and uh, hope you guys all have a great week weekend. Take care. Night everybody.